Today's scripture is from Revelation chapter 22, and we're going to jump around a little bit in this chapter, but we'll begin in verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Well, today I'm Pastor Rich. And if you're new to our church, man, I'm so glad you're worshiping with us. You know, as Adari shared, there's so many things happening in the life of our church, so many ways to get connected, so many ways to get plugged in. All of that is intentional. None of that is random. Every ministry leader, from the women's ministry to the kids' ministry to the connections ministry, is thinking about ways to get you plugged into the church. Because the church is not just a Sunday. It's the body of Christ. That's what it is, right? It's an ecclesia. It's the gathering. And so, um, you know, we just finished sort of um, a short series on our core principles, each one of them. But what we're doing uh, right now is we're going to focus on um, one particular core principle, and that is Scripture. Um, each of the, uh, the core principles that we're focusing on this year, uh, which is Scripture, Sabbath, and prayer, we're going to have a, a brief sermon series just to uh, drill down a little deeper on each of those, but today we're beginning a series on scripture, all right? Um, and and uh, we have a scripture reading plan, actually, that can help apply this core principle to our spiritual DNA. You can download it on our website. You can also download it from our newsletter. If you feel uh, concerned about being behind the Bible reading plan, that's okay. Uh, it's like anything in life right? The best time to start is today. And so our sermon series on scripture is titled Theology, okay? Uh, theology simply means the study of God, right? Biology means the study of life. 
Um, physiology means the study of the human body. Theology is a combination of theos, God, and uh, ology, right? The study of God. Theology, therefore, is the discipline, uh, the systematic study of the Bible. That's what it is. And maybe you're, you're wondering, why is it important to systematically study the Bible? Uh, well, author and pastor um, Michael Horton, he says this. He says, bad theology isn't just wrong or incorrect, it's dangerous. That's what he says. And this is true because theology doesn't just take place in a vacuum. Uh, theology is a set of ideas that has implications upon your life. Uh, for example, if you think that Bi the Bible is a historical account of the life, death, resurrection, and divinity of Jesus Christ, that is going to have implications for you and your life. Contrast that to thinking that the Bible is maybe a fictional account of a character named Jesus only symbolizing values like love and peace, kind of like a Disney movie, but not God and not cosmically victorious over sin, evil, and death. Those are going to have two completely different implications. In Matthew chapter 2, Jesus calls himself the divine physician. So what Jesus is saying is, is just as important it is to understand the skeletal and nervous and uh, reproductive systems of the human body and to care for it and to sustain life, it is that essential to understand the major theological spiritual systems of scripture to sustain our personal spiritual life, the spiritual life of the church and our effectiveness in society and in the world. So for the next couple of months, we're just going to systematically examine different theological doctrines of Scripture, like the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, the Christian life, the last judgment. And today we're, we are starting off, we're kicking off by studying the doctrine of Scripture, doctrine of Scripture. Uh, the title of today's sermon is titled Sola Scriptura, and uh, that is just Latin for by scripture alone, by scripture alone. And historically, this phrase was developed during the Protestant Reformation uh, because of um, certain unbiblical practices during that time of uh, the Roman uh, Catholic Church. For example, uh, there, there was this practice of selling indulgences, right? Uh, which was the payment of money for the forgiveness of sins. And if if your relative had not um, worked hard enough to attain eternal life, they were stuck in purgatory, and so then you could pay for them to get out of that. Uh, there was a practice of prohibiting priests to marry, right? Um, there was the belief of the Immaculate Conception, which states that Jesus' mother Mary was sinless. But during that time, the Protestant reformers taught that the Bible's teaching of financial stewardship is not a requirement of salvation. It is a grateful response to the free gift of salvation. Uh, Protestant reformers like John Calvin and Martin Luther stated that a single minister can dedicate all their time to ministry without neglecting their family, but God does not require this for a reason. 
because not everyone is called to this or possesses the ability for a life of celibacy. So the foundational principle for Christians during this Protestant movement was sola scriptura, right? By scripture alone. What this principle means is that no church or spiritual leader or anyone, any Christian, has the ability to exercise biblical or spiritual authority that not supported clearly by the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And so for me as your pastor, I have no right or ability or authority to teach you or ask you to do anything that is not supported by the Bible. Uh, Which is why a lot of the times when people ask for my opinion on a particular issue, I'll say, "Hmm, I don't know. (laughs) Right? You got to pray about it. You got to study the scripture. You got to read second sources. You got to read commentaries. There may be multiple ways to apply this particular principle. And that's what sola scripture means. Let me, let, me, let me give you an example here of this. Um, as Christians, you know, um, we can say it's okay to consume alcoholic beverages, but it's not okay to get intoxicated by them, right? Psalm 104 says, The Lord causes the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, bread to strengthen, and wine to gladden the heart. So God has provided wine to gladden the heart. But Proverbs chapter 20 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So what's happening? Is God God contradicting himself? Is Is that what the Bible is? The Bible is full of contradictions, and that's why we can't trust it, and it's really just your opinion and preference. No, God is saying, it's simple, right? It's not too hard. God is saying, it's okay to drink, just don't get drunk. And the drunk person doesn't get to determine whether or not he's drunk, right? <laughs> that's not how it works, right? One can drink an alcoholic beverage or not. That's, that's their prerogative. There can be all sorts of reasons why you would or wouldn't want to, but either choice does not glorify or honor God more than the other. Too much ice cream can lead to high blood sugar. But that doesn't mean we put a lifetime ban on ice cream, right? Let's, let's not get carried away. <laughs> and so our scripture today, uh, Revelation 22, it teaches this principle, sola scriptura. John is receiving word from God, and then Jesus says, hey, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If you add to it, God's going to add, those, the, uh, add to him the plagues described in this book. And if you take away from this book, if you dismiss any of it, God is going to take away from you the tree of life. This is a serious warning. Jesus is saying, if you add your own opinions or thoughts to the level of my word, or if you dismiss anything that I've said or commanded, I'm going to take away your access to the tree of life, which is a reference to eternal life. It is a serious deal. This is why I write a manuscript and I don't try to improvise too much. (laughs) Jen will know when I say something that's a little off kilter, she'll be like, that wasn't written in there, was it? I'm like, no, dang it. (laughs) Now, some of us might not like hearing this, though, because this is what it means. There is something absolutely fundamental about Sola Scriptura and being a Christian, right? Sola Scriptura is not something that just pastors believe or hardcore Christians 
believe, there is something absolutely fundamental between uh, this principle of sola scriptura and being a Christian, which means that when we come to Jesus, if we want to take Revelation chapter 22 seriously, the very last words before Jesus uh, closed the book on the canon, when we come to Jesus, we have to surrender to him completely. That's it. There's no other way. Right? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is not saying, hey, actively think of ways to hate your family members. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's using a hyperbole to make a point. And that is, your commitment to me is going to radically change your life so much, your principles, your priorities, your lifestyle, that your parents are going to recognize this change. And they're going to have a difficult time letting go of the control they had over you and relinquishing this priority that you had to them that is now to Jesus, that they will interpret it as hate. There is more. Jesus says you have to actually hate your own life. Right? You have to relinquish your own life and your own authority and desires if you want to be my disciple. Maybe you are here and you struggle um, with things that Jesus is calling you to do to be his disciple. Maybe you are here and you struggle with things like forgiveness. There are some people in your life who have maybe slighted you or offended you, dare say even traumatized you, and, and you wish disaster upon, right? You wish evil upon. That is your desire. But when you become a Christian, Jesus teaches us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Paul says it in the book of Romans. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right? Don't hate your enemy. Don't gossip about your enemy. Jesus says, pray for them. Pray that God would soften their heart. Pray that they would come to a, an acknowledgement of their offense. So do you see, friends, how sola scriptura really governs not just, you know, like what you be, believe theoretically. It is very, very, very practical here that it governs every opinion and every act and every desire. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, which means that sola scriptura is not just about having accurate biblical theology so that you can win arguments or feel better about yourself. And it's not even just about obeying God fully. It is about ultimately, as Jesus says, abiding in the spirit and life of Christ. That's what it's about. Surrendering ourselves to Jesus entirely is about abiding in the spirit and life of Christ. That's why it's so important. That said, let's, let's take at the second thing here at what sola scriptura isn't. So we kind of talked about what it is. Let's, let's talk about what it isn't. First, sola scriptura does not mean that the Bible is the authority for every subject in life. 
right? Whether it's biology or chemistry or physics, the Bible is not a field manual on how to perform a surgical operation, right? Or, or how to understand and apply thermodynamics. Just because you are a Christian and you know and understand the Bible doesn't make you a good, good, good doctor. You got to go to school. You got to train. Right? Every human being, as we know from the, the word of God, is, is uh, made in the image of God. And Christian or not, everyone has the capacity to study the world and contribute to its flourishing. And so, you know, when I'm looking for a mechanic, I'm not looking for their religious faith, right? I'm looking for someone who has a good reputation for being competent and fair. You don't need to be a Christian for that. But Sola Scripture does determine how you go about living and operating in the world and in your workplace with integrity, diligence, and excellence. And there are some jobs that have more overlap between the intersection of work and faith, right? As a mechanic, you could kind of like compartmentalize your faith. But I know Christians who work in education, government, politics even, and legislation, and I'm not going to go into this too much because we're going to have a sermon on the theology of church and state. But I will say this. Christians need to learn how to work alongside those who aren't Christian. Okay? What do we see when we read scripture? Well, in the book of uh, Genesis, we see how Joseph won Pharaoh's trust and became the administrative executive of the most powerful nation of that time. We see Daniel winning over Nebuchadnezzar's trust and eventually converting him. We see uh, Ezra winning over Cyrus's trust, Nehemiah winning over Artaxerxes' trust, and Esther winning over the trust of the king in her day. All rulers who were vicious, of, and some of like Babylon and Assyria, some of the most vicious countries of that time, who were not Christian, but with faith and much prayer, grace, and wisdom, these men and women of the faith were able to nonviolently persuade the lawmakers and the laws of a non-Christian ruler towards biblical justice, right? You see, tolerance isn't agreeing on everything. Tolerance is about loving each other and treating each other with goodwill, friendship, and honor in the midst of disagreement. And lastly, Sola Scripture, uh, when we talk about what it isn't, Sola Scripture is not just theoretical, okay? Um, it, 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 is, it has to be practical. You know, there's no point in believing in Sola Scripture if it's not demonstrated in your life, you know? Um, but then, Sola Scripture presents a problem for us, doesn't it? <laughs> Because there isn't a single person in this world who can perfectly apply this principle. Which means that Christians who hold this principle are hypocrites, right? Unless they have the humility, humility to admit that though they uphold sola scriptura, they fail at it and they need grace. What this means, if you truly believe in this principle, it would be wise to be self-aware of your standing in light of it so that you're not puffed up with uh, hypocritical pride. 
In the book of James, he's writing to a church that is struggling with being judgmental and self-righteousness. Surprise. <laughs> uh, they are constantly criticizing each other and positioning themselves as better than each other. So James tells them here uh, in chapter two, he says, if you really fulfill the law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, right, if you are, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So what is James saying? He's saying, look, if you show partiality by paying attention to one particular biblical command, but not other biblical commands, you are committing sin and guilty of failing all of God's commands because God does not show partiality. So this principle of sola scriptura can never be used as a tool to promote one's self-righteousness or moral superiority over others, or uh, one's preference, or partiality, you see. A true understanding of sola scriptura keeps you humble. Now, what I want to do before I end the sermon is, is give some practical applications on how to apply this doctrine of, of sola scriptura. First, um, and this should be no surprise, you, you, you got to take, time and intentionality to read the Bible. <laughs> right? It's like, uh, it's not rocket science here. You know, when I go to the doctor, he's like, he's like, uh, you know, checking my, my lab work and he's trying to be gentle about it. He's like, so, um, do you, do you walk? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I walk. He's like, um, how many minutes a day? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, know, you know, he's not going to give me some miracle fix. He's like, okay, um, what's your heart rate like when you, when you walk? <laughs> it's the same thing here. You know, some of the, these things are, are, are quite simple. Uh, but the reason why we got to read uh, the scripture, there, there are many reasons. But first, if Jesus is God and he has created everything, and not just the physical world, but also the spiritual and psychological and um, the social world, then knowing his word is really imperative to thrive in all these different aspects of our lives, right? Jesus created, uh, he created work. And so, you know, if you want to understand what it means to be a Christian in the workplace, then it is imperative to read the word and how it can teach and instruct you how to work with a balanced spiritual call. Now, this can be scary sometimes when we go to the Word, right, to see what God is saying to us. Um, I know that this is the case for me. Like, when I'm, uh, when I'm like, uh, re, uh, revamping any kind of uh, biblical material I have, whether it's for, like, membership class or community groups, I dread it. Do you know why I dread it? Because I dread looking at all the terrible stuff I wrote a year ago, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, and then I know, I know it's just going to make me feel like, I don't know, like, what? Like, I, I said, no one told me that this is what I wrote or something, you know, and I got to update it and edit it, and it's uh, emotionally and psychologically, like, just painful, um, you know, and then I got to change it, right? I mean, that's what it just means to li live. You, you grow. That's just how it is, right? But if the words of Christ are spirit and life, then, then we can trust. We can trust this process. 
right? That Jesus is going to direct our path. He's going to light our way. He's going to strengthen us and grow us to become better, better. Um, and if you have a particular take on scripture, you'll be surprised just how much nuance there is. You know, how much more development and refinement and distinction there is to a specific thought or understanding you might have. I've been studying the Bible uh, at least professionally for 15 years and, and man, I feel like I, I don't know anything, you know? Um, I, mean, there, I mean, obviously there are some black and white things like Jesus being the one true path towards spiritual life and victory over, and a lot of things, victory over death and a lot more things, but you know, I'm just not as dogmatic or critical about certain things anymore, you know, like what fellowship event we're doing, you know, it's like, all right, yeah, like hiking, cool, <laughs> you know, like get to know each other, you know, um, like uh, I'm not as, as, as dogmatic about how and where people are getting baptized, you know, back in the day, I was like, it has to be a live body of water, okay, they did it back then in the, in the Jordan River, we have to go to some kind of stream, now I'm like, oh, praise God, someone's getting baptized, <laughs> You know, I'm learning how to major on the majors and, and you'll learn, you'll, you'll realize, wow, I, the more I read the Bible, the more I see Jesus just calling us to love him and love, love our neighbors. And that's gonna keep us pretty occupied for a very long time. And lastly, I think that the reason why we have to read the Bible is that the scriptures will help you think critically, okay? Um, I don't want you to take whatever I say here, take my word for it. Okay, you, you, and you can't just, you know, just like watch this YouTube video or listen to a sermon from some person that you have no personal relationship with across the country um, and you have no idea how this person interacts in his private life um, or, you know, some article published with some controversial headline or, uh, you know, like just clicking on social media algorithm that is recycling what you want to click on. You have to go to the source, you have to go to the text that the person is teaching from or quoting. You have to read the chapter, the entire book. You have to get familiar with the context. You have to get differing expert opinions and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to correctly speak to you through the scripture as you search it out. You know? Um, like, uh, you know, it's so easy just to like take this Bible verse, right, from social media and like just run with it. Um, but you have to learn how to think critically. And lastly, what you have to do is you have to read the Bible in, in community. You have to read it in community. You can't read it by yourself, right? Um, you have to learn from other people. God has created everyone in this room and at this church in his image. And everyone has a unique perspective and upbringing and um, just skill to contribute to a biblical conversation. And so actually, one of the times that I learn the most, and I'll put it into my sermon, is when I'm in community group, and I'm listening to someone share their insight and how the Holy Spirit spoke to them when they were reading this text that I completely missed. And, 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 and when someone shares how it connected to their struggle with depression or their struggle with marital conflict or their struggle with meaning and purpose in life, that's when the Bible comes alive, right? The book of Hebrews chapter four says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
it becomes most alive when someone else is speaking it to you. And so, you know, when my, my wife and I, uh, we kind of have this guiding principle that, that we need each other to speak the gospel to each other. We need to hear it, right? We need to hear, you know what? God forgives you. God loves you. God has washed away your sin. God has taken away your condemnation and your guilt and your judgment. You don't have to be enslaved by the thoughts and the, the, the approval of others. You see? You've been justified by the king of kings. Because there is a great temptation to emphasize um, individual autonomy. But what can happen is left to ourselves um, we come to um, partial views, partial views of what the scripture is saying. Now, let me just end with this. Uh, sola scriptura was the principle that many Christians died for during the Protestant Reformation. If you read your church history, uh, the call back to the scriptures and away from any church authority or tradition that was misapplying the scriptures was so offensive during that time that many Christian brothers and sisters were burned at the stake. That is the reason why we have the Reformed Protestant Church today. And it is this principle um, that really is very important for me as, as my calling as a pastor because I'm charged and I'm called to preach and teach the word of God faithfully and fruitfully, right? Not my own opinions, my biases or inclinations, right? No matter what happens, no matter what pressures or persecution or sacrifice that I may endure, the moment I am unable to perform my duty as a pastor to uphold sola scriptura, that is the moment that I should step down and step away from the pulpit. At the same time, this doesn't mean that I'm going to get it right all the time, right? Right? Um, I pray and hope that I will be preaching and pastoring for a long time, but I anticipate that God is going to continue to teach me and reveal to me the depth and breadth of his, his word and wisdom, which means that I'm going to grow, which means that I'm going to get better than I am now and have a long way to go. I believe this is going to be the case for all of us, which means that as we submit ourselves to the scriptures, we have to demonstrate grace to each other, right? Which is why Jesus became sola scriptura in the flesh. That's what John says. The word became flesh. I wonder sometimes when I think about this, uh, you know, I think about the 12 disciples' theology and they just kept putting words into Jesus' mouth. And Jesus was like, stop, can you just stop? <laughs> That's not what I meant. Peter, why did you cut off that person's ear with your sword? <laughs> what about me have you misinterpreted? They constantly got it wrong when it came to Sola Scriptura. And I think even for you and me, we're going to find our progress so much slower than we would like. Because there is so much more mystery still that we don't know and that we may never know when we go to heaven, until we go to heaven. But here is the ironic thing. 
our progress actually doesn't come from getting it right. All right? Actually, our spiritual progress comes when we admit no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to get it right all the time. And then the Holy Spirit just floods your heart with grace and love and compassion and hope and comfort. Because church, Sola Scriptura is not an exam you need to ace. It's a life that is lived out when your heart is filled with the power of the gospel. That's the irony of Sola Scriptura. The more you strive for it, the more you realize how much you need grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And, you know, when we, when we read the book of Revelation, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people don't read it because it's, it's just so straight up scary. <laughs> we like to just kind of read, like, I want to read these passages like, you know, in the Gospel of John and stuff like that. But what does Sola Scriptura mean? It means the whole counsel of God. From Alpha to Omega, from Genesis to Revelation. And we want to pursue this. Ah, there's this paradox in our heart. We want to, man, we want to pursue this. We want to be faithful. We want to submit ourselves to the, to the scriptures. We want to love and forgive people. We want to serve the community. We want to be prayerful. We want to witness in our workplace. We want to obey all the things that you have commanded and taught us. Because life is short. And we don't get any of the time of the past back. But we struggle. We struggle with pride. We struggle with laziness. We struggle with impatience. We struggle with anger. We struggle with bitterness. We struggle with cynicism. We struggle with hopelessness. <sighs> Father, forgive us. And we are so thankful that you do. And to prove that you forgive us, you sent your one and only son to die for our sins so that we can be freed from the past and free to live in the present and free to hope for the future. And it's really the gospel that just gives us hope. It's the gospel, your, your amazing, merciful, compassionate grace in Jesus Christ for broken people like us from the moment we give our lives to you to the moment that we see you in heaven. It's never gonna get old. And this is the sola scriptura that has come in the flesh. Father, would you teach us? Would you teach me? Would your Holy Spirit be the divine counselor uh, to soften our hearts, to do things that 
we cannot do, that no person can convince us or persuade us to do, that no self-help book or, you know, whatever life hack can move us towards, only your Holy Spirit powerfully working inside our hearts. We pray that you would do this in us uh, and to us and through us for the good of your glory, for the salvation of others. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.